Shalom and welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we are going to be learning together Parshas Noach Rishon, the first Aliyah in Parshas Noach. Our Parsha as a whole has 153 Sukkim. The topic of our Aliyah is the command to make the Teva, the Ark. A brief summary of the Aliyah, we're told that these are the generations of Noach and he is a pure and righteous man. He would walk with Hashem. We hear about his three children. We've already heard about at the end of Barashas, Shem, Cham, and Yafez. And then we hear about the state of the earth. The state of the earth is in a state of corruption, thievery, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu once again sees all this corruption and says to Noach, listen, the end of humanity has come in front of me because the land is full of theft. What you're going to do is you're going to make a teva, a ark out of wood, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu describes the way it's supposed to be covered in the inside and the outside with pitch in order to make it waterproof. And it has to be 300 cubits by, uh, in length, 50 cubits in height, and 30, uh, in 50 cubits in width and 30 cubits in height. A cubit is roughly um, 2 feet, so we can do the measurements. It's supposed to have a tsar, some form of light source in the teva, and its door is in the side. It has a very narrow roof at the top, so the rainwater will fall off the sides. Hashem then explains why he is commanding Noah to build a ark in the middle of the desert in Mesopotamia, and that is because he is about to bring a mabul, mayim, a flood of water which is going to destroy all of humankind's and Hashem will keep his covenant with humanity by keeping alive Noach and his wife and his children and their wives and all the animals that Noach is going to take two of from each, each species, from the animals, from the birds, everything is going to be put into the teva, including the food to sustain them. Noach does as he is told. So there's a few things to think about, to consider as looking at this aliyah. First basic question is, is Noach a righteous person? And the answer is absolutely. The Pesukim tell us he was an Ish Tzadik Tamim Haya. That is a very laudable description of a human being. The reason why people get confused about this is because Rashi does bring two opinions. He says, Yesh There are those who understand and look at this in a, in a complementary sense. And there are those who who look at it in a gnai, in a negative sense, that relatively speaking, he was good, but he would not have been a shining star in the generation of Avraham. It's worthwhile noting, there's much to think about in this Rashi, but one thing that's worthwhile thinking about is, maybe Rashi's comment is less about Noach, and more about the people looking at Noach. Whenever we look at any person, one can look at the positive and the negative elements of every human, of every leader. And the question is, which camp do we put ourselves in? Are we the Miesh Are we those of the more spiritually elite who are able to see positivity in others? Or we're the humdrum, we're the masses, we're, we're the gallery which uh, throw peanuts and Darshanos Where do we fit? That's a question that Rashi is begging. Of us. We then hear that in this teva there's going to be a tsar. What exactly is a tsar? Rashi brings two opinions. One is that it was a window which let in light, or perhaps it was an even tova hameira lahem. It was some sort of luminescent stone which provided a light source indoors. 
It's worthwhile noting that the Chassam Sofer points out that these two opinions as to what the nature of the light source are, perhaps are reflective of the two opinions as to Noach's, um, we'll call it relative or inherent tzidkus, his level of righteousness. If Noach was only a relatively good person compared to his generation, then he had no right to look out upon their destruction because he really should have been among them. Much like when the, the as we're going to see, Lot and his wife did not have the right to look back on Saddam because they were not so different to the people of Saddam. That would therefore necessitate a light source being Tsar, being a a luminescent stone internally without a window. But if he was objectively inherently a righteous person, then he could even have a window and witness what was going on around him. An interesting question is, how does the Teva, how does such an ark fit all the animals in the, zoo, in the world? It's worthwhile noting that the biggest zoo in the world right now is the San Diego Zoo. It is a, um, it is a, hun- a hundred acre park home to more than 3,500 animals representing 650 species. And it is interesting that this very large and very famous zoo, which was opened in 1915, although it does include uh, well over 300 species, it's worthwhile we're noting how many species of animals there actually are in the world. Well, as of now, the estimate is 8.7 million species of animal, of which only 1.2 million have actually been formally described, most of them land-based, just to give a sense of proportion. So Ramban asks, how in the world is an area of 300 by 50 going to possibly come contain all the animals in the world? He says it is clearly a miracle that a little bit is be able to contain a lot. And that is the only possible way that this can actually happen. The words he uses is, Hechsik muat es hamiruba, the little contained a lot. So then the Ramban says, well, if that's the case, then let's just stretch it. Why don't we just push the envelope? Why couldn't Noach just be commanded to make a kayak? Well, let all the animals go into it and let a little bit contain all a lot. What's the whole business of building this large boat? So the Ramban says, the reason is, is because HaKadosh Baruch Hu does not want us to rely on miracles. The ark was a colossal container. It was a very, very large boat. Certainly not enough for all the species of animals in the world. But it certainly was a large boat and conceivably could contain a lot of animals. That is the necessary steps that we as humanity need to take, although God will always to make sure that it will cover us. The Ramban also suggests, and Rashi point, makes this point as well, that perhaps in the amount of time it took to make this large boat, people would keep coming over and asking, Noah, what are you doing? Why all the planks of wood? Why all the pitch? And in that time, they have the opportunity to rethink their actions and their course of life as well. Another question, why is a flood chosen as the punishment? Why is it that Hashem sends a mabul? Rashi points out, many of them unfortunately point out, the word mabul is to mix up, balal, to mix the whole world up. Everything's being mixed again. Why is that? So it seems that in the immorality of the world around them, as Rashi says, kishchis kol basar earlier in the Aliyah, where it says, that means that even the animals and the birds, the wild animals, were actually having relationships beyond their species. So the corruption was beyond just human corruption of relationships. It was animalistic, the whole world. It was all mixed up. It was no boundaries. The Kleyako takes it one step further, and he says that in three ways, we know that three sins precipitated the sin, the, the sins led to the Mabu, to this terrible cataclysmic event. Number one was Avodah pagan worship. We heard a little bit about that last week 
in Bereshis. And the, it's interesting that Yirmiyahu describing Avodah describing pagan worship, says in Perek Beis, I see Ozvu, you have left me, Hashem says, Makor Mayim Chayim. You have left the source of natural water, Lachtsov Lochem, Lohem, Beirois, Beirois, Nishbarim, to dig wells which are not going to give you the source of water. So ideologically, the idea is you have separated yourself from the water source. You want to understand that? I'm going to bring the water source to you. So ideologically, the punishment is fitting the crime. Another aspect of it is, is they also sinned with immoral immoral relationships, as Rashid mentioned, that people were breaking the bounds and the commitments of marriage and, and monogamy and the relationships and the commitments they had made. Well, it's interesting to note that in the system of Judaism, um, adultery is a capital punishment with the punishment being chenek, which is strangulation. And the Gomorrah Ksubis points out that when a person um, in, in the day when there is no Sanhedrin performs a capital crime, those punishments can happen in natural ways, God forbid. And the, um, a person drowning is a person actually drowning is not being is suffocating in their own juices, which really essentially is the punishment of chenek. So this is a direct reciprocal of the, the punishment that they are worthy of getting. And finally, the sinning of the sin of stealing. The imagery of stealing is a breakdown of boundaries where I believe that I can enter your property, take what is yours, even though it's really beyond my reach. And the idea of water is a liquid, which something which doesn't have any boundaries, like what you were acting as well. So whether it be an ideologically, the idea of leaving the water source, whether it be the punishment of drowning, suffocating, or the imagery of the breakdown of boundaries, this is the worthy punishment that humanity is meant to reflect on and understand in that context. With this, we close in the meantime a wonderful and meaningful day.